Yes, yes. God is good. I have been loving this series that we have been on, Ohio for Jesus. Um, let's just take a moment to pray and just ask the Lord to speak to us today. Jesus, you are so good. You are so good. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this day, Lord. We thank you that you are an amazing God, all-knowing, all-powerful, all-loving, slow to anger, compassionate. We thank you, Jesus, for the mercy that you give each one of us. Lord, today I pray that you would open our eyes and that you would open our ears to what you are doing in the earth today that you would open our eyes and open our ears to what you're doing in our life today. Even in the midst of our storms and our crises, Lord, you are there. God, I thank you, Jesus, that you have not forsaken us, that you love us. God, I pray that you would help us do what you've called us to do because we can't do it on our own, and if we could, it wouldn't be from you. God, we thank you for the spirit of God that comes and brings conviction, that brings change, that brings empowerment to say yes to you. And today, Lord, I pray that there would be a yes that would rise up in every single one of us. Those who are listening online as well, Lord God, there would be a yes in their spirit that through you, Christ, they really truly can do all things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I want to um, break down just a few of our goals for Ohio for Jesus. So for those of you who don't know, Ohio for Jesus is um, bigger than just Vision Church. It's bigger than the Waterville campus and South Toledo campus combined. This is a movement of Assembly of God churches, and I believe God is going to bring in other um, movements, other denominations as well, because it's going to take everyone to do their part for us to see what God really wants to happen in our generation. So Ohio for Jesus is a 10-year strategic plan that the Ohio Ministry Network um, has felt the Lord called us to. Uh, James 2 reminds us that faith and action together are a powerful force. And Ohio for Jesus is encouraging, as an encouraging story of God's spirit uniting the hearts of his people, coming into alignment to see such a miraculous um, movement happen that no man or woman could take the credit. And that's my favorite part. You know, when, when Josh and I got on fire for the Lord in the late 90s, uh, our pastor used to pray that God would send a nameless and faceless revival to our country. Because when you actually study revival throughout history, what happens is oftentimes there, there's a name that's put on it. You know, even if you even look at denominations, oftentimes it's named after a person who, who, who God first spoke to, Lutherans, for example, right? Name after Luther, who, who um, what, 500 years ago, the great uh, uh, reform movement, right, Reformation. And we see this happen over and over and over. And oftentimes it's man that messes things up. <laughs> it's people that mess things up of what God wants to do. And so how awesome would it would be to see a nameless, faceless revival where it's not about one group of people or one denomination, but God's people coming together and doing their part. And so some of the things that we really want to see happen, some key results, if you will, there's a couple of drivers. There's a couple areas that we really want to see God move and, and, and work in and that we believe that the Lord has put on our hearts. One, leadership development. We believe that God wants to raise up servant leaders in his church. It's not just about the pastor. It's about every single person doing their part. So we're believing for 25,000. You hear that? 25,000 new leaders in Ohio. It, does, it doesn't matter if you're young. 
if you're old, if you're male or female, boy or girl, we're believing God is raising up 25,000 new leaders. We were um, just recently, I was with Jeremy and our youth group um, at this REACH conference, and we're pushing this with our teenagers too. Like, we, you are not just the next generation leaders. You are a leader today. There's people in your schools today that need to know Jesus. So 25,000 new leaders. We want to see church health. It's not just about having a big church. It's about having a healthy church, right? And so to have a healthy church, though, something that we see is new salvations, people coming to the Lord. If we are healthy, like, there's going to be new birth. Like, in the beginning of our marriage 20 years ago, because Josh and I were really healthy, <laughs> we were able to birth four children, right? It's just a natural byproduct, and the same um, in a healthy church, people are being born again, right? Not of the flesh, but of the spirit. And so we're believing for 250,000, you hear me? In Ohio, 250,000 new believers. And because of that, we believe in church multiplication, planting new churches. If there's 250,000 new believers and 25,000 new leaders, well, then we better have at least 1,000 New churches. There could be someone in here right now that, that God is putting on their heart that one day maybe they will be starting a, a, a new church. And some people are like, well, why church planting? Don't we have enough churches? Um, no, because church plants produce uh, new growth. And it gives opportunity for people to serve in ways that maybe they weren't able to serve in in an existing church that's been around for 100 years. And so we are believing for God to raise up new believers and new leaders and new churches, and with that, we're believing for a 300% increase of mission, mission giving, giving, because we don't believe that Ohio for Jesus is just for Ohio, but that Ohio for Jesus will go around the whole world, and so we need to see missionaries raise up, and you guys know we bring in missionaries all the time because we believe in the power of missions, and so in order for this to happen, I was praying, I'm like, God, these are like some audacious goals, right? These are things that th this is this is not something that Josh and I came up with. This is this is something collectively that uh, our leadership within the Assembly of God have have prayed and, and sought the Spirit. It actually happened, I believe it was like 2017 or or 2018. I can't remember exactly, but it happened a few years ago when we were at a minister's retreat in all these churches from all over the 88 counties of Ohio. The different churches that are represented there coming together at this retreat, and God spoke prophetically. You remember that, and and different people all over the room from different churches were speaking and, and God wrote this beautiful collective story and we knew that that was from the Lord and this is what was birthed from that but in order for us to see this really happen we need everyone to be part of it everyone to do their part and so I was praying I was asking Lord how, what can we do to get everyone on part and he and he reminded me that that we have a lot of people that are missing in action right now in the church. Most churches have not um, even, even gained back what we had before, before um, COVID happened. Most churches have not even brought back those who were a part of their body before. We have a lot of people missing in action, right? M-I-A. Not only do we have a lot of people missing in action, but we have a lot of areas in our life as Christians that are missing in action. And in order for us to be 
the soldiers of God that he wants us to be, to be a part of God's army, we have to get these areas in our life together. And so today I'm going to talk about three areas in our life that I believe are missing in action, specifically within the Western American church. So we're going to learn some lessons from the early church of the book of Acts, which is probably my favorite book in the Bible because there's so much we can learn from. And we're going to put these areas to test in our own life, right? When we come to church, we're not going to be saying, that, oh, I wish my husband was here to hear this one. Man, my son left too early. He missed this. It was for him. Well, no, we're going to look and we're going to say, how can this apply to my life? Amen? So missing in action. Here we go. One area that is missing in action in the American church is maturity. Mm. Let's just take that one in. Maturity. Look to your neighbor. Just kidding. Look to yourself. and be like, I need to mature, Lord. Help me mature. <laughs> Help me mature, right? We all can grow in maturity. Okay, I want to talk specifically about two areas of maturity that I think needs to um, grow in the church today. And that is prayer and character. Prayer and character. If we look in the book of Acts, it is like almost every chapter, there's some kind of prayer mo movement or prayer meeting. Acts chapter 1, verse 14 says they all join together constantly in prayer along with the women and, and Mary, mother of Jesus, and his brothers. When the Holy Spirit came in Acts chapter 2, the, the Holy Spirit was able to come because they were coming together praying in unity. And it wasn't just in Acts chapter 2. We see them praying in prison. We see them praying before they laid hands on um, different disciples, sending them out. And we see prayer happening all through the book of Acts. As a matter of fact, it's like 32 or 33 times that they're mentioning some kind of prayer meeting in the book of Acts alone. Now, if God wanted his people in the early church to come together to pray in this kind of accord, how much more in the days we live today. Do we need prayer? We need prayer so that we can be empowered by the Spirit. I love the old saying of Leonard Ravenhill, who was a great um, revivalist. He would say, a sinning man stops praying, and a praying man stops sinning. It was in a prayer movement, a prayer time, when Josh and I um, were actually engaged that God moved on Josh in such a way that he got up at a prayer service on a Sunday night and testified of something that he was set free from. And because I see kids in here, I'm not going to share it, but it was, um, it was a pretty serious, serious uh, thing that had to do with lust. Let's just put it that way. And he got up there and just said, hey, I've been set free from this situation. And everybody was like, I mean, I've never heard anyone confess that in church before. Ever. I was in the back like, oh my gosh, I'm about to marry this man. He is crazy. <laughs> and, and later on, we, we heard a teaching that if you don't embarrass sin, sin will embarrass you. And then we just decided that's what we're going to do. We're going to embarrass sin every time. And I'm telling you, for, for 20 plus years now, that's something that he has been set free from because he embarrassed it from the gate. But so often what we do is we allow sin to embarrass us. We feel shame and condemnation that we don't talk about it. And the Bible says confess to one another so you can be healed. But we don't confess to one another because we're too embarrassed. And we're too full of shame. And yet we wonder why we can't get set free. 
First, we need to pray. I'm telling you, there's something about the power of coming together. Yes, first, pray in your closet at home. Make your prayer life be for real. Like when I go, my, when I pass away or when the, when the rapture happens, if anyone finds my journals, I mean, I have had journals since sixth grade, but especially at 19 when I sold out for God of just prayer journals. And I still, to this day, I fill up a couple prayer journals every single year because I, I write out, not every time I pray do I write out my prayers, but I write out my prayers often. I have lists often that I, I go through and I pray. All my children, they all have at least one page um, of just a prayer list in my journal. My husband, uh, and even before I was married, I prayed for my husband and he had lists of things that I prayed for, that God would anoint him, that he would fill him with the spirit, that he would walk a holy and righteous life. Friends, I'm telling you, when we pray, things change. Preaching affects man, but prayer moves God. And we need God to move in our generation. We got to come together and pray. And you know what? I want to encourage you. You don't have to wait for us to call a prayer meeting. When we were young adults, we, uh, hey, you want to come pray? I will give you the code to this building. Come up here and pray anytime you want. That's what we did. I remember one time, um, one of our our friends, my best friend to this day, she had a key to the building, and she was an intern at the time um, at the South Little campus. And we were out, I think, at Denny's because we were broke, and that's all we could afford back then was Denny's, like fried cheese sticks or something. You know, we were out at Denny's. God was moving, and we actually got a little loud, and they were like, y'all, y'all got to get out of here, like with that crazy Jesus stuff. So we prayed a little bit in the parking lot, and then we were like, we just need it more. So we drove up to the church. I mean, it was in the middle of the night. Nobody was there. And this is a big, dark building. We just went in there, turned on the lights on, and we prayed in the sanctuary. Because we wanted more of God. Friends, we need to get hungry for the presence of God again. And we need to pray. Another thing that we need developed is our character. When the church looks the same as the world, and you can't see a difference between a Christian and a non-Christian, there is something that's wrong with the church. James 1, 2, and 4 says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, and let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Do you know that some of the crisis I believe that we have been in in America is on purpose? Not that God has necessarily ordained it, but he's allowed it, because he is maturing his people. I mean, listen, friends, have you actually ever have went on a mission field to a different country? They understand hardship. <laughs> but in America, we want everything to be so comfortable that we don't even want to be a part of church plants because it's work. And oh my gosh, I got to go there and serve in the nursery. It's so hard. I sacrifice for Jesus. That's nothing. We got people losing their life in other countries. You know what I'm saying? Oh, I'm on the schedule to greet again. Man, I just greet last week. Why are we so selfish? I'm not, I'm not talking about my children. My children have been voluntold enough. We need someone other than my children to step up and serve. How about that? Listen. As I say, when you're a pastor's kid, it's called, you don't volunteer, you're voluntold. Oh, Lord. But listen, though, for real. Another area of maturity, I, the Lord actually just showed me this one um, today when I was praying about it, and it's found in Hebrews 6, verse 1. It says, therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teaching about Christ and be taken forward to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance 
from the acts that lead to death and faith in God. But this is the thing, friends. We have to, in America, lay again the foundation of repentance because we have turned preaching into TED Talks. And we want to go to church so that we can feel good, get a massage, and go start a successful career somewhere. When, when God wants us to actually repent of our sins and live righteous, because that's the foundation, because if we're not living righteous and we're not trying to, and we don't actually repent when we do wrong, we justify. I mean, I'm telling you, I work with young people, and, and the belief system, I'm talking in Christian schools, the belief system is the, they're learning, the, it's, it, it scares me. Because we see a generation of Christians, young Christians, who have not been taught that certain things are sin, even though the Bible says the sexual immoral will not inherit the kingdom of God. The drunkard will not inherit the kingdom of God. But yet they're like, oh, it's okay to be a Christian and drink. Like, I just won't get drunk. You weigh 100 pounds. One sip, you're getting drunk. Bro, like, come on. <laughs> like, you take cough medicine a little too much, you might get drunk. Like, we need to chill. Like, seriously, though, we justify everything. Oh, it's okay um, because I'm going to get married to this person one, time, one day. You're 16. Right? Like, listen, we have to be careful because when we excuse and justify sin in our life, we open the door to the enemy, and then we wonder why people are not seeing Christ in us because your character is not aligned with Jesus. And I know this sounds harsh, and I promise you, I love you enough to tell you the truth. Enough to tell you the truth. Enough to tell our young people the truth. Like, we got to stop. We got to stop justifying it. We got to stop making excuses for it. And we need to just confess and be like, I have an issue. Embarrassing. Get up at a, at a prayer service. Get up at a service and say, you know, I got a testimony. Someone prayed for me, and I got set free from this issue of lust in my life. And name it out loud and not care. What if people don't do that anymore because we're too embarrassed. We want to look good in front of people and yet not realize that anything we do in the darkness is going to be shadowed from the rooftops. God knows what we look like. And so here I am, been living for the Lord 20 plus years. And um, when I first got on fire for the Lord, the Lord set me free from an eating disorder. I never had the one that you just don't eat because I liked food too much. I had the one... <laughs> This is like the loudest water bottle. <laughs> I had the one that, you know, that I would eat and then what they call like binge and purge. And, I mean, I remember I was so in bondage that when I was a young adult, I actually remember being at a, a church buffet. No lie. A church, a church um, what do you call it, potluck. And I ate so much. And then afterwards, I went to the bathroom in church, y'all, and I threw up. And my, um, our, our director, I, I believe I was an intern at that time, and our director she knew. She caught me. And, I, and she was like, where's you just, she just knew. Because discernment is the way how, how some of y'all always get caught. <laughs> I pray over my children. It's called the get caught anointing. You're going to go out and sin, you're going to get caught. Ask some of them. It's like they can't get away with nothing. Always being found out. <laughs> That's God's mercy on your life. It's better to be found out now than to be found out when you stand before him. And so anyway, I got caught. She was like, I'm like, oh you know. So I went through some prayer, and I went through some deliverance. That thing was a stronghold on my life, and I got set free. I'm living free for, like, almost, like, 18 or whatever years. Planted the Waterville campus in 2017, 
had one thing after another happen in my life causing major stress, and all of a sudden I found myself binging and purging again. This time, I'm an ordained pastor. This time, I just got elected as an assistant presbyter, and here I am. And so about a year ago at our South Toledo campus, I'm preaching, and I confessed that thing in front of everybody. Like, man, I've been struggling in this area, and I'm about to embarrass sin. And after I did that a year ago, God has set me free again. Now, I didn't get into it as much as I did when I was younger because right away I recognized it. But I fell back into it, and I'm saying that to you because you could live free for 20 years, and in a moment of weakness, the enemy could try to come in again and destroy everything that you've built for 20 years. And so we got to be careful. That sin was against my own body, and, and, but there's, there was, there's consequences that could be against it. There's other sins that we do that are not only against our own body but against other people as well, and those have even greater consequences, and we have to be careful not to open the door. We have to be careful to watch ourselves and our lives and our doctrine closely so that we can be saved and those who hear our message also can be saved. And so, friends... Pete Scazzaro has a saying, too, because there's also this emotional maturity that God wants to bring to people where you can't be, uh, he, he says this, and if you don't listen to any of Pete Scazzaro's podcasts or have, if you have not read any of his books, The Spiritual Healthy Leader, and he has Spiritual Healthy Church, Spiritual Healthy Discipleship, so many awesome resources, but he says that you cannot be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. And then there's, there's this list that I am not going to be able to get to today, but I want you to put it up because I'm, I'm seeing my time and there's some other things I want to get into. So if you can put that up, there's questions. Top 10 symptoms of emotional unhealthy spirituality. Okay. So if you want it later, I can give you all those questions. There's so many of them, so many of them that I would love to, to go into. You know, but I, again, just don't, I feel like there's a couple other things I want to hit. So um, I will share that with you if you want, but there's so many things. One of the main ones is if you're doing for God is not supported by your being with God, you most likely will burn out. And so that's what I see happen in the church. Like, oh, I'm going to serve in this area. I'm going to serve in this area. But you haven't prayed all week. You haven't read your Bible all week. And so you come to church and empty, trying to give out of an empty cup. And you, that's spiritual immaturity. We have to make sure that we're filling ourselves up during the week daily, being in our word daily, spending time with God, making sure that we take time to rest. One, the, the Ten Commandment that we break the most is that we don't honor the Sabbath and keep it holy. We don't take time off. We, don't, we, we work our butts off 60, 80 hours a week as Americans, and then we get like a one-week vacation and we think that we're rested. No. <laughs> we need to take time to rest and honor God, okay? I would love to go into that, but I feel like there's a couple other areas that I really want to hit. So the first one, missing in action in our life, maturity, both in prayer and in character that we need to grow in. The second area that I want to talk about, I really feel like I want to spend a little bit of time with this and the next one, is initiative. If we want to get and do what God has called us to do and not be missing in action, we need initiative. I love in the book of Acts how people had initiative, okay? We see the, the, chose, we see the first deacons, this was in the book of Acts, that came to place, it was in Acts chapter 6, 1 through 7. It says, in those days, the numbering disciples was increasing. The Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily disp- 
um, distributing of food. So the 12 gathered all, all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and we will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. The proposal pleased the whole group, and they chose seven men, and that's, that's what their names were, and they laid hands on them. And it says in verse 7, it says, So the word of God spread, the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. How cool is that? Even priests came to know the Lord. Okay, it said that, 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 they, that we saw basically revival when they laid hands on other people to do the work of the ministry because the fivefold ministry is always to equip the saints, the body of Christ, to do the work of the ministry. But the point that I want to bring up here as far as initiative goes is it's interesting that it was the Greek Jews who brought the complaint that their widows were being overlooked. And God, if the names that I skipped, if you look back at those names, Stephen being one of them was one of the first, first martyrs. If you actually look back at those names, they're all Greek Jews who God used. What I'm saying here is when you, when you see a need, often God wants to use you to fill a need. But because we lack initiative, we don't always do it. And so if you're looking out and you, and you see, a, you know, what happens is we become critical instead of becoming critical thinkers. I remember when I was in master's commission, and um, this was one of the places I got trained in ministry, and uh, I had lived with what they called home um, openers at the time. And so basically I was a young adult and I was living with a family that was not my own. And we went to church together and I served the church and I was being trained at this church. And so I didn't know this family. This was my first, like one of my first weekends with them. They invited me to go out to eat with them afterwards. And so we went out to eat and they had a guest speaker in that week. So all these guys were out to eat and all these families were out to eat and they're eating and they're talking. And all of a sudden one of the, um, guys that was in the home start criticizing the guest speaker and saying, oh, this and that and this and that. And I was like in shock. I'm like, oh my goodness, I'm brand new here. I'm a Christian. And they're sitting there gossiping, uh, you know, about the person who was bringing the word. And I was just like, new and didn't know what to say. Young adult, I was only like 19 or 20 at the time. So I just kept my mouth shut. And the, the, the gentleman who I lived with him and his wife, he spoke up, but not until they asked him. They said, hey, Brian, what do you think? Because he was quiet, and it kind of got awkward. You know when people are doing things, and then you're just quiet, and it's like, ooh, that's awkward, right? Well, he got quiet. They said, well, what do you think, Brian, thinking that maybe they were going to rope him into his gossip, their gossip? And he said, you know what? When I go to church, I try to listen for the thing that God wants to speak to me, and I hold on to that. And if there's something I don't agree with, I just, I just put that up on the shelf and let the Lord deal with the person on that, one, on that issue. And I was like, Jesus, you got me in the right place. I got some things to learn. They also woke me up at like 5 o'clock in the morning every morning blowing a shofar. It was like, okay, time to pray. <laughs> I mean, but they loved the Lord and I learned so much from them about taking initiative. You know, I was a little bit spoiled as a child. And so it, I learned when I lived there, 
I say, listen, there's a, there's a gift of the Spirit that not everybody talked about. It's called spoil, and Frank and Vicky kind of had that. So I really didn't do dishes or didn't do laundry growing up. And so it wasn't until I lived with these guys that I learned how to do chores and take initiative. And listen, I grew up in the city, and they lived in the country. It was like waking up with, like, shofars and roosters. And I was like, oh, my gosh, like, dares and cows and just, I was like, this is scary. Yes, it was scary, you know. But. God taught me so much in that year on how to take initiative. And I want to encourage the church. There's so much that needs to be done. And we need people to take initiative to do it. And Josh, uh, Pastor Josh preached last week about some areas that we want people to step up and take initiative. There's outreaches that we want to see happen. We have ideas of doing things, and we've done things. We've served, you know, um, downtown Waterville for Christmas where we, give, we gave out hot chocolate. We've hosted, you know, the 4th of July. But there's other ideas that we have with, with things, and not just that we have. I believe God has put ideas within you guys on how we can reach not just this community, how we can join together with our South Toledo campus and really do some things. But, friends, right now we've been lacking people to greet, been lacking people to serve in the nursery because we need people to take the initiative. Now, not take the initiative to the extent that you find yourself burnt out, okay? But find somewhere where you can serve. Matter of fact, God, it's so important to God that Jesus said, it, he, said to a, he said, listen, you know that you are serving me when you gave me a cup of cold water, when you visit me in, pr- in prison, when you clothe me. And, and the disciples said, wait, when did we clothe you? When did we give you a cup of cold water? When did we visit you in prison? And he said, what you do for the least of these, you've done for me. That, me- that, that right there shows true Christian initiative and character. Not, there's also a scary passage that says, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we cast out demons in your name? And he said, away from me, for I never knew you. So it's not just about the showy things that we can do. And listen, we believe in prophecy. We believe in speaking in tongues. We believe in in miracles. But it's not just the things that are showy. It's it's serving people. Real leaders serve people. They take initiative. Amen? So I'm going to ask you, what do you need to do to step up right now? To take some initiative in your life. Maybe it's just at home. I remember, again, learning how to serve you know, when I was in master's commission, I remember coming home for Thanksgiving break, and my mom was like, what happened to Joy? Like, I volunteered to do the dishes and to help clean up the table. She was like, what? Because I learned that when you serve, it doesn't come natural for me to, to, to do that. And I'm a mother, and I'm always cleaning up now. But I still have to make myself do it. And when I do, I, I like to remind people, I think I even did with the young adults. By the way, I, I put up the dishes like three times and we had an Airbnb. I was like, I put up the dishes three times, someone else's turn. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's not natural for me. But I make myself do it anyway because when we serve others, we're serving Christ. Amen? All right, so take the initiative. Say, I'm going to take the initiative. That same woman who caught me when I was an intern um, sinning, <laughs> was the same woman that when I would come to her and complain about something, she would say, well, I guess God's showing you how to take some initiative. I'm like, there's not, this person was supposed to help, you know, we used to call them bus pastors. Um, So it would just be anyone who would ride on the bus with inner city kids and just like minister to them. This person was supposed to be a bus pastor this week and they weren't. Time for you to take the initiative. You see the need, you feel the need. I'm oh, I learned not to complain to her. (laughs) Oh, friends. 
we need to, we, if God is showing you the need, it's time for us to step up and take the initiative. Amen. Okay. I, I want to get through this point because this last point that I want to share with you today, I believe is probably the most pivotal and most important and the thing that's lacking in um, the American church, lacking that's keeping us missing in action. This is an area in our life that is keeping us from really doing what God has called us to do. And it's time to not be missing in action anymore. It's time to stop hiding in the baggage like Saul did in the Old Testament. And it's time to come out and do what we're supposed to do. And that's accountability. I also believe accountability is also one of the main reasons why the American church stays immature. If we look at um, the book of Acts and we look at Paul, we see that Paul always had people around him. Everybody gives Paul all the props. He was the greatest apostle that ever lived. Well, I believe the reason he was able to write two-thirds of the New Testament and go on three missionary journeys and eventually get beheaded for his faith is because he had people around him that helped him go further. John Maxwell says, you want to go quick, go alone. You want to go far, go with someone else. We have to go with people. We can't do this by ourselves. And that helps keep us accountable. I don't think Paul would be who Paul was if it wasn't for Barnabas. You know, in Acts chapter 9, we see, we see Paul getting saved. And, and even that, God used Ananias to bring a word for him and, and to remind him, hey, you're going to learn all the things you must suffer for my name. And then try to do it on his own. I think Paul was one of those independent guys that just, you know, he, he was smart, intellectual, and he just tried to do it on his own. But, you know, the, the early disciples, the 12 that walked with Jesus, the 11 since Judas was already gone, they, they didn't believe that Paul could possibly be saved because he had such a bad reputation. So they weren't so sure of what to do with them because he was persecuting Christians, killing Christians was there when, when Stephen was, was being martyred at the coats of the people who were doing it, right? And it took Barnabas to speak up for him and say, I am going to be with him. I'm going to help keep him accountable. We need that in our lives. We talked earlier today about how we see the same sins in Christian households as non-Christian households. You can look at the church. There's just as many divorces in the church as there are. And this is not to condemn anyone. It's just to point out that we need some accountability. There's just as many divorces. There's just much addiction. There's just as much sexual sin. There's just as much fornication. There's just as much drug abuse in the church as outside the church. Christian teenagers are having sex um, at the same speed as non-Christian teenagers is looking at things online that they shouldn't look at online just as much as non-Christian uh, teenagers, and we need accountability. I want to share something with you, especially if you are parents in here. I want to share something called Covenant Eyes. Covenant Eyes is just one of the softwares that's available that you could put on your phone or put on your children's phone because if you are a parent in here with minor children, it is your responsibility to keep them accountable. If you're going to give them a tool such as a smartphone at the age of 11 years old. You would not give your child um, keys of the car without first making sure that they went through driver's ed class, without first being on that road, praying in the spirit with them, Lord, have mercy. I've done it. Scary. I'm teaching Jubilee now. I'm like, oh, Lord. I was like, I taught Shua. Please, please, someone else teach Jubilee. <laughs> we were going around our block. We were driving uh, just, just down the alley, and the neighbor saw us, and they kept waving. They're like, oh, there she go. I'm like, get out the alley, kids. Get out the alley. <laughs> 
but we have to keep our children accountable and give them uh, tools and resources to help them. And so I want to encourage you to put covenant eyes on your phone, not only for your children. <laughs> I'm trying to be careful because we do have some kids in here on, on how to word this. But um, lust issues such as p- pornography is such a serious issue with young people that it's, it, it is not just a man thing, like, or, or it's men, women, and and teenagers and even younger than teenagers, um, tweens is I guess what you would call them. And we have to be careful and put something on our phones to help guard. There's other ones too. We, we like Covenant Eyes. There's Bark. There's some other things. My husband has it on his own phone as a grown man. And so what you do is when you put this on your phone, then it get, what you have to do is you pick like two or three people to keep you accountable. And so he has a couple pastor friends and he has myself on there. And so I get a report every single month that says different things. There was one time that Pastor Josh uninstalled it because he, I don't know, got a new phone or had some kind of something happen. And so one of his pastor friends just sent him a quick um, uh, text. Another one of his pastor friends sent him a quick, hey, I saw that you uninstalled this. Everything okay? Just keeping up. That's what's keeping accountable. I have somebody who is a young adult woman who deals with some major issues and asked, and, and I told her about Covenant Eyes. She is in a, a different city that she doesn't know anyone because she's from the South and she's going through school here. And she asked me, I said, listen, I, I'll keep you accountable. Go ahead and put me on. Now, I can't do that for everybody, but I felt led to do that for her. And so I get a report. I saw that she uninstalled it. I reached out to her it was when I was on a sabbatical, so I didn't reach out right away. I reached out a couple weeks um, later, and she said, you know what, thank you for reaching out. Some, my, some of the other accountability partners I have on this already reached out to me as well. This is what happened. I had a moment of weakness. I felt convicted right away, and, and I put it right back on. There's my teenage kids. I get reports from them every single month. Oh, weekly. Oh, goodness, yeah, every single week. <laughs> Good thing it's not just me because apparently I'm not checking it well enough. Um, but me and my husband, when they become young adults, then that's up to them if they if they want to choose to keep us on there, if they want to have someone else on there, if they want to go down a dark road. I don't know, you know. And there's different one, there's different things. It's called keeping each other accountable. When we got uh, on fire for God in the '90s, we had this thing that everybody had to find an accountability partner. No one even talks about accountability partners anymore. Everybody wants a mentor. We're this orphan child uh, generation. Give me a spiritual mom. Guys, stop acting like you need moms when you're 30 and 40 years old. You need partners. You need people to help keep you accountable. And so I would pray and ask you, if you're a woman in here, ask the Lord, is there another lady, maybe, you know, close to my age or someone that I could, you know, be friends with that I can say, hey, will you be accountable. Can we be accountable? It doesn't mean you have to put things on your phone or whatever. I don't have one on my phone. That's, I have other issues, but I talk to my best friend about my other issues. I talk to different mentors and different people in my life about the things that I deal with because I want accountability so that I don't fall. Because if I don't watch my own life and my own doctrine closely, I can fall away. The Bible says even the elite can fall away can be deceived. We have to have accountability, friends. And so I just really quick want to end with this. Why it's important to have accountability. Number one, two are better than one. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12 explains some practical reasons. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. For if one falls down, the companion can lift him up. But pity the one who falls without another to help him up. Again, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though one may be overpowered, two can resist. 
Moreover, a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. If you're married in here, your husband or your wife should be your accountability partner as well. It doesn't mean you don't have other accountability partners, but if you are married, you should be able to have such a relationship that you can confess to your spouse when you're struggling. And and you have to train yourself because sometimes they might be struggling with something that you're going to take personal and you have to train yourself like that ain't a, that's a you issue. That's not a me issue. So let's not make it a we issue. Okay. Let me be strong enough to, to pray for you and to help you without getting offended, which means I might need somebody else in my life that can help me. And he might need some other man in his life that can help him, but we should be able to confess to each other when we're struggling. Amen. It makes us better people accountability. Likewise, Proverbs 27, 17 explains the benefits of accountability relationships. Iron sharpens iron, and one person sharpens another. Being accountable makes us better people. Friends, we've got to step it up in this area of our life. So many of us are missing in action because we have never allowed ourselves to be accountable to another human being. And let me tell you, friends, we're all accountable to God. And one day we're going to stand before him, and we're going to give an account for every even empty word that we speak. That's so scary. So let's not just wait and to, to stand before him for us, for us to put this out there. Let's find somebody that we can be accountable, people we can help keep accountable. Because I want us to be a church that actually loves one another enough that we're going to help each other when we're struggling. Amen. Would you guys go ahead and close your eyes but actually stand up first?